Well, I greet you from the low country of South Carolina, Charleston. It's called the uh, Palmetto State because of the palmetto bugs and roaches that are there, just to get you on that. But I'm originally from Chicago, the land of Michael Jordan, okay? There was a day when Michael Jordan had a lot of glory on the basketball court. I don't know what he's doing nowadays, but I was during formidable years of watching him do that. But I'm here to ask you the question today as we talk about the word and we talk about transformation and change. Uh, what glory do you live for? And that isn't how we talk. We don't use the word glory typically. But when we think about glory, we should think about Michael Jordan on the basketball court. You got that in your mind? Okay. But the reality is that whatever you display as a strength, whatever you can do or, or accomplish, it's one of your glories, your attributes. And if I were to ask you what glory do you live for, either, either to attain or uh, to be close to, to be near, uh, that's what the ultimate question this morning is about. I desire and I do based on what I believe is most glorious. If you've ever thought of it that way, what is most valuable to me right now? The toys I played with at age six, the grades I pursued at age 10, the extracurricular activities I participated in age 14, what do I gain from it? What kind of glory do I get from this? What do I get to participate in? The apps I download at 16, the vocation I choose at 18, the person I date at 21, the words I choose to speak when in conflict, all these things are controlled by the promise of experiencing some sort of glory, some sort of gain. And my wife is one of my glories, right, over there in the corner of the chair there, my wife. But, but we have different things that we value. And today the passage of Scripture, if you turn in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Just turn in that for a moment, and I'm going to read that. It's, and then I'm going to pray. But here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, the value of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, uh, there are so many wonderful things in your word, but I would echo with a lot of other studiers of your word, followers of your Lord, of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, that this verse is the peak when we think about how we change. It is our favorite verse. And may we today gain something from it that helps us deepen our understanding of what it means to behold the glory of the Lord and become, become near, become like that which we behold in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this passage of scripture, if you look at it, can you see a cause and effect? That's the first thing I want to alert you to in this. As your, your eyes are on it, you see this passage here. But we all with unveiled face behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image. So 
beholding helps us become, and then it goes on to say transformed into the same image from glory to glory as just from the Lord the Spirit. It's been described as the divine perspective of change. And uh, if any of you know John MacArthur, it is his favorite verse. So it's interesting to connect with that. I think it was my favorite verse long after it was his, though, okay? But I think it's, it was his favorite verse because he says in it, it shows us what we call the divine perspective of change. In other words, what essentially changes in a person? What really changes when they truly make positive change? My brother is an, an example of this. Uh, my brother, uh, he was addicted to cocaine and drugs for, since uh, probably for 30, 35 years. He's older brother now. And just three years ago, uh, he was able to be freed from that. And now he lives near us in South Carolina. And uh, he has a home that uh, he has pastors come share with some of the guys that stay in that home. He's helping. He's already doing that. I said, brother, it's a little bit fast, isn't it? But he has surrounded himself. What changed in my brother? What changed what, in those 36 years? For him, the wages of sin were death. He truly felt short of the glory of God. And he fell into the glory, supposed glory, of what cocaine could give him. The glory of cocaine. We don't think of it that way, do we? But why would you do it otherwise? Unless you believe somehow in that. There was some kind of gain for you. uh, Good in that. He had a habit problem, no doubt. Behavior. He had a thought problem, no doubt. Cognitive. He was thinking about things wrongly. He had a desire problem, no doubt. But this verse would tell us that he had a glory change problem. He needed to behold something better, significantly better than what he was living for. And so when we think about change, think about glory change. Whenever you have someone that's addicted to something, they're living for the glory, even if it's small, but that's what they want at that moment. It's going to make them feel good, function better in their mind. But the glory of what God could give is blinded in their mind. They don't see it. When we're trying to change them, you could imagine if someone is struggling like a brother with cocaine, you could say, what's valuable to you, Rod? His name's Rod. Rod, what's valuable to you? And the counselor could say, well, what's valuable to me, or that Rod would say, is my son, whom at that time was two or three. I can remember when his son, Evan, was very young. And so let's change for Evan, the glory of experiencing fatherhood with Evan, what else is valuable? Maybe vocation. My, my brother is a great electrician. He can do things that I only could imagine, not ever being able to do. My wife will tell you how I fix things. We've got, we've got a, uh, I'm not a fixer, but I'll tell you what, I'm all heart, right, honey? I will do it. I will get it done. So we had this dryer. And this dryer uh, had a button. It's all this computer stuff. It wasn't working. And she said, she's the fixer. And she said, I can't fix it. When she can't fix it, we have to either pay 400 bucks or i got to figure something out. So I said, let me look at it. I got my snippers, and I snipped a hole in the dial, pulled that dial out. Did I fix it, actually? She says, no, I think I did, but she says, no. We'll go with that. But my brother's vocation could be destroyed by cocaine. The glory of a vocation the glory of a relationship. How about the glory 
that comes from the true and living God? Where does that fit into motivating a cocaine addict to change? That changed my brother. I'm here to tell you. He loves Jesus, I think, more than me and sometimes. I just see it in him. He loves the Lord. He sees it. So this verse says there is a cause and effect. Do you see it here? Beholding the glory helps you to become conformed to the glory. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed by that glory. The essence of our problem as human beings, according to Scripture, is Romans 3.23, right? For all have what? But why did we sin? Because we're falling short of what? The glory of God. Take that in for a moment. When every time Tim Bryant gets sad to the point of doing something wrong or not fulfilling my job, I'm too depressed to do it, I'm living for some glory smaller than what God offers me. Not that it couldn't be a sad thing I lost, but what's bigger than that? And whenever I get sad or mad, mad about something, anybody get mad here in the last 24 hours? Look at all those hands, Pastor. Woo! I'm just kidding. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. Mad isn't always sin, but it often leads to sin. And it's often motivated by some glory, some value that someone has attacked or keeping you from. I want peace. I'm very mad now. (laughs) I want peace more than anything. So I'm going to get mad. Do you want the glory from the true and living God more than you want peace? Because peace comes as a fruit of attaining the likeness of him. Do you want that? Sad, mad, bad. If anyone got sinful in the last 24 hours, you were falling short of the glory of God. Well, that's to make the rhyme work here. Sad, mad, bad, and frad. Frad rhymes with what? Fear. Those are the common realities when you're counseling. Sad, mad, bad, frad, okay? Remember that. You can, if you can biblically help somebody see how to change in those areas, you've got 90% of what people really need help with. They come in for counseling because they're either sad, mad, bad, or frad, okay? When you're afraid, what glory are you living for? But this verse would better say it this way, what glory do you need to be living for? Anybody remember Jesus' words to worriers? Let's, just, let's pick on frad people here today since it's such a noble sin. If you're not afraid, you're probably in sin, right? I'm just kidding. There should be a concern. It's a holy concern. It's anxiety sometimes. But Jesus speaks to worriers in Matthew 6. He demonstrates this verse. We all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. So what does he do with worriers? He goes and he says to them, Consider the birds of the air. Look at creation for a moment. That's what he says. Who feeds those birds? He's just demonstrating the glory of the Father's care for infinite number of things out there in creation. And if, are you not more valuable than the birds? So now he connects you with that glory. And then he goes on to say Solomon, in all of his glory, wasn't dressed like the lilies of the field. So why do you worry if he's your dad and he's got that kind of glory and you're his child? Do you see how we, Jesus would take that and Paul would say here, that's a demonstration of what we could call doxological change. 
where you're having glory change. You're looking at God's glory and you're changing from the inside out. The cause and effect relationship, the first point I want you to make here today in this passage is what is the cause of change in this verse? I'm going to test you right now. We're doing a test right now, okay? This verse says the cause of change is what? Be, thank you. You get a free something. The pastor will give it to you after the service is over. <laughs> beholding. All right, we've got to figure out what beholding is. We don't use glory a lot, but we're trying to define glory. We don't use beholding a lot. We're going to try to define beholding. But so beholding, and then what is the effect of beholding according to this verse? What's it? Someone almost said it. Becoming, right? <laughs> Transforming into the image. That's right. You guys have lists of things that you are attracted to that are good things. Uh, I can tell you my wife's glories right now. Brown hair, brown eyes. I can get physical that way and see that beauty. But I can also tell you that she is a gentle. She's, she, I married her in many ways because I was attracted to what I saw as a peace I was very busy and driven, and she was very peaceful. And so the glory of Aaron attracted me, right? And I wanted to connect appropriately, right? I wanted to share in that somehow. Well, that's because we're created with this by God to love beauty. Have you noticed how much God arrays things in creation with beauty? How about babies? Do you have a list of glories of babies? Like, are you kidding me? I got too many. No, but there's, you, you, you love them when they're asleep for sure, right? You, that's, but there's things about that relationship that is glorious, that you want to see merge and nurture and become something. Well, I'm here to tell you that there's a greater glory than all those things, but those glories are created by God to attract you to the greater one. And the greater one is becoming like him in his likeness, the cause and effect relationship. It's like sowing a seed is the cause of the growth. Now, I'm going to ask you a question here today. Hopefully, you'll pass this one. How many of you here uh, grow a garden? Okay, wait a minute. Now, I just want to really get that. All right, how many of you here have grown anything from a seed or in, a, in soil? And you, okay, so all of us. I've just proven that all of you are crazy because you haven't grown anything. What have you done, really? I got you, didn't I? You sowed a seed. You watered the seed. But who caused that growth? God. So the cause is beholding God's glory. That's all this verse is telling you to do. Behold the glory of Christ. Behold who he is. And the effect of that is what? Transformation. And that's what we want to encourage to happen in those that we help grow by nurturing that. Here's what John Owen, the Puritan, said. I'm going to just read it to you. He wrote the glory of Christ on his deathbed. And here is one of the statements he made. He said, do any of us find decays in grace prevailing in us, a senselessness, a coldness, a, a deadness, a lukewarmness, a stupidity, spiritual stupidity he called it, 
do we find an unreadiness to exercise grace in life? Would we have our souls recovered from this? Then let us assure ourselves there's no better way for healing to occur. He used the word healing and deliverance. No other way but this alone. Very emphatic. But, but by obtaining fresh views of the glory of Christ. As it relates to his office. And a steady abiding in that. Constant contemplation, meditation on his glory will transform us and revive grace in us. Have you ever experienced that? When you're singing a song or you're meditating on some beauty or you go out to creation, what do you see there? You know, Does it draw you to revive your hope in him, your desire for him? Does it heal you? There's a four-year-old that came into counseling and uh, her, again, I told you this in Sunday school, but I'm going to share it again here just for those who weren't here, but she was, she, her, COVID had killed her grandparents. She never wanted to leave the side of her mom and her dad after that happened. What was her great need? What was her great deficiency? I used the five questions in fear that we talked through here and we discussed it. And it led to that third question, who's in charge of what you fear? This gives me a chance to demonstrate the glory of my God to the little girl. And she had faith in God and as a result, her fears were were changed. She was transformed. And she drew pictures I, uh, of this and, and it was helping her meditate on the glories of her God. She drew a picture of a cat trying to kill a sparrow because she wanted to reflect on Matthew 6 that said, not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father. She drew a picture of a bed with a kind of a no circle, a no What's that called? No zone? Uh, anyway, whatever it was, you can't. It showed Jesus doesn't sleep or slumber. And one of my favorite was she drew a picture of an angel. In Psalm 34, it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, right? To rescue them. Those pictures and that nurturing of faith caused her to be free from fear because she, div- she focused on the glory of God as two things a king. And a dad. Very basic, isn't it? So much that a four-year-old, right, uh, could do that. Then there was a, a guy came in. He was mad. He had an anger problem. Conflicts, communication. He couldn't connect well with his family, his wife. Uh, he was what would be profiled as an abuser. He had done some things that were very wrong. And he, what was his greatest deficiency? Right? Was it what had happened to him growing up? Or was it what was not happening right now in his mind? Was it the past or what was, what was missing? Was it what was present in his life or what was missing? What was he deficient in? He had received counseling in the past on his anger. The counselors tried to convince him the root issue was low self-esteem. Uh, in other words, he was insecure and he felt the need to ensure his family respected him. He needed their respect to feel secure. I began to counsel him that his root issue was pride. Now, I didn't just plop that on the table, hit him over the head with it, but we gently got into that. You know how I did it? I opened his eyes to the glory of Christ. I attempted to open his eyes and nurture to the glory of Christ's humility. We looked at Philippians 2. Some of you may be familiar with it, but we did. We just talked about Philippians 2. 
And there Philippians 2 says that Jesus Christ, who was the very existence God, right? He was the very form of God. He emptied himself. And I use this little four-step into understanding the humility of Christ. I said, number one, uh, Christ stepped off his throne. And then I began to share with him my own situations about, you know, I have to do that sometimes. I want people to respect me. Anyone here want anyone to respect them? Sure. But I don't need them to. The most important thing I need to have happen is God to exalt me in my disappointments. That's called humility, and Jesus demonstrates it. Let me show you how he does that. And then we talked about Jesus stepped off his throne. He let go of his rights. He became a slave of God, a servant of God. And you know what fourth he did? He did that to the the point of death on a cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him. I said, whatever your concern is with your family, your greatest value is bringing the glory of Christ's humility home. Do you want to be valuable or do you want to be respected first? What do you want? See, I'm appealing to his understanding of what's valuable and I'm connecting it to the glory of Jesus. That's what this verse is telling us again. Beholding, we become. I deepened that by talking about God's, his repentance and his change by talking about God as a righteous judge. So right now I've given you three basic glories that I want you to focus on. Beholding the glory of the Lord. One, he's a king. I use a title to help you understand it. He's a king. You agree God is a king? And what do kings do? Anything they want if they're sovereign, right? Exactly. He's a father. What do fathers do? Provide care. He's a judge, right? What do judges do? They put you in jail and put a consequence. He is a sovereign king. He's a good father, and he's a righteous judge. And based on those three things, I have found that as I talk to people struggling with sad, mad, bad, or frad, they can begin to see things different, want to attain more closeness to that kind of a God, and change into the image properly of that God. So the the cause-effect relationship here, we behold the glory is the seed, and we become conformed to that glory is the result. And the second thing in this verse is I want you to observe some of the key people. First, notice this. It says, we all with unveiled face. He's talking about Moses. And in the context, Moses had veiled his face after receiving the Ten Commandments. And what did Moses ask God for? Show me your what? Show me your glory. Moses said, don't just give me logs, show me glory. And the glory of God then passed in front of Moses, concealing him in the cleft of a rock. And he saw the backsides of God in terms of his walking by. And just from that, his face physically glowed. This is an odd thing because we're not real mystical. Uh, we are, as a Christians, we, are, we believe in unseen God. We're mystical in that sense. What is that? What did it look like? I'd like to have one of you children draw me a picture of what you think Moses' face looked like. What was the glow? Because he had seen God, not fully, but a refracted view of God. And his face glowed so much that they had to put a veil over it when anyone would talk to him. So the, 
the mirrored reflection of God, the backside of God, caused people to be afraid of that. I mean, it would be kind of weird if your pastor's face started glowing, wouldn't it? Kind of odd. Uh, I'm kind of scared. I'm not going to that church anymore, right? Something wrong here. But there was no freak show here. This was real. His face truly glowed to the point that they could not, would not, didn't want to be around him. Well, so here we say, we all with unveiled face behold in a mirror the glory of the Lord. So here we see that the people we're talking about is veiled people and unveiled people. And 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, just a few verses later, will say that our message is concealed because the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they may not see the glory of God in the face of Christ. So there are two types of people in the world, veiled and unveiled. Where are you this morning? Do you see the glory of God in the face of Christ? Do you look at the cross? Do you look at Jesus and say, value? Or do you look at the world and say, more valuable? There's two boys that were brought to me for counseling. They were 16 and 19. And they were smoking marijuana. And their parents were sad, completely sad. And when I start counseling a person, I try to relate with them, obviously. But where do we go from there biblically? And one of the things I asked them, they thought I was going to say, let me tell you why marijuana is wrong. That's not, that's behavior. I want to know about what, who or what they believe is glorious, value. Obviously, they thought smoking marijuana was valuable enough to do it. So I, asked, I began to ask them some questions and I ended up saying, let me ask you just before we even get into any of the issues here, what do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus? And they went through the Sunday school answers of he died on the cross and all this and that, which is very important. I'm not minimizing, but we're going to move from there into now how do we change in light of that. I wanted to know if they saw glory. I didn't want to know if they just saw the person, but the glory of Jesus. At some point, if I was having a live wire, so I asked them, I said this. I said, do you believe that Jesus knows best? Do you believe he is wise, in other words? Is he wise? And they said, well, yeah. I said, do you believe that he loves most? In other words, he not only just knows best, but he loves most. Do you believe in the glory of Jesus as the uh, wise and loving person? Knows best, loves most. And obviously, at that point, I kind of had him in a corner, but not in a way that I, they couldn't get out of it. They could just say they didn't believe it, but they believed it. And so then I just asked the next question, do you believe that Jesus would smoke marijuana? They're like, didn't expect that one, you know. <laughs> and I, I remember when Isaac was younger, and I told you the story in Sunday school, he wouldn't go out to take the trash, but I'll tell you another story. My son was just a rebel. He, he, wouldn't, he didn't brush his teeth one night, and he said he did. He lied. So he felt so guilty, he got back up and said, stood in front of me. I said, what's wrong, Isaac? It's time to go to bed. And he said, uh, I don't feel right. I said, what, did you do something wrong? Yeah, what was it? I didn't brush my teeth. He's like, well, that was good. So I said, son, let me, and it just kind of came to me. You know, he's being deceived, right? 
like we all are, living for some glory, the glory of going to bed early. Yeah, <laughs> hallelujah, right? What a great glory. At the expense of what? His teeth falling out. Oh, well, who cares, right? It's funny how the, living for the wrong glory destroys lots of things. The wages of that is what? Death in many areas. So I just asked him that question. I looked at him. It just kind of popped into my head. I said, son, let me ask you, who knows best how to take care of you, you or me? Now, at that time, I still did in his mind. That's good, right? You get older, they think they do. I said, so who knows best, you or me? Well, Dad, you do. I thought he was going to say mom, but I got, I got that one. <laughs> who knows best, you or me? I said, son, who loves you more than me? Really, son, who loves you more than me? And it was tangible for him. The glory of dad, the little glory, Tim Bryant's little glory that I know some things and I love well in, in some ways, is pale in comparison to your Lord who knows everything and loves more than anybody ever could love you. So I looked at my son and, I, and he looked guilty at that. I didn't want him to stay guilty. That's not going to change you, but it needs to start. Conviction before God of his glory. I said, son, I want to tell you, I'm in the same boat. I believe that God knows best and loves most, but you see sometimes I fall short of his glory. So we need to work. As we prayed, I'd ask you that today. As you meditate on the glory of Christ, does he love best? Does he know most? So we're veiled and unveiled. So I just demonstrated to all of you, I hope, some of you in this room may still be veiled. You don't see the glory of the Lord. You don't see the Lord as glorious. But all of us, if we're saved, we have some measure of our understanding of Christ being enlightened. And that's because the next person in this verse, look at that verse again here, we all with unveiled face, behold as a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another, just as from the Lord. And here it is, the Spirit. Where did we get the veil removed? In the Spirit. That's how we got it. We got it from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit ministry to us, according to John 16, is to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Has he done that for you? Has he opened your eyes to the realities of your failure to live for his glory and his righteousness and his judgment as a result of that. The New Testament saint can see and comprehend this glory more and not be veiled like the world is veiled to that. And it is from the Lord. It is from the Spirit. The veil is removed in the Spirit. The responsiveness to the glories of God is removed by the Holy Spirit. We can see and be affected. We can see and connect with that glory. He becomes our Father now. He's not just a glorious Father. He is now our Father through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He is not just a sovereign King. He is our sovereign King. He's not just a righteous judge. He is our righteous judge who is a Father. You know what fathers do Good fathers, when children are falling short of doing what is best for them, he doesn't judge them, condemn them in the, wrong, in the way of sending them to their room forever. He redeems them. He buys them back, and then he tries to teach them how to, he disciplines them to grow and change. Um, my, my 
children have sometimes fallen short, as you know, we all do. And I remember looking at my son one time when he had fallen short, and I said, son, the reason that I want to keep you from this sin in particular, and it was private sin, private, wrong things, I said, is because your father, me, has had a physical condition for 30 years that started as a result of God disciplining me for my sin. My dad loved me enough in heaven to, to get me where he needed to get me, wanted me to get, and I want to avoid your having to go through the discipline of the Lord. The glory of our Father, the glory of him being our judge, our Father, our King, these are the key pieces I have seen again and again help people with sad, mad, bad Fred get a new foundation, a new understanding of how to change. Regeneration by the Holy Spirit is the beginning of that opening of the eyes to the glory of Christ. And the end of that is when we get to heaven. And so are you, when is the last time you spent time beholding the glory of the Lord? Just thinking about his glory, understanding it. Did you know that demons believe that God exists, right? Why are they not affected by it? Hmm. Because they don't have the Spirit of God enlivening them. The Holy Spirit is the one that grows what we sow. And we need to be sowing, beholding the value of God, His attributes, that we may grow into His likeness. So critical that we hear that. Now, there were three men in the Scripture in particular that prayed the big prayers. Moses, show me your what? Glory. That was important. David, in Psalm 27, 4, he says this about God's glory. He says, one thing I ask, one thing I seek. When a man after God's own heart says, this is the one thing that I ask, this is the one thing that I seek, that means that everything else orbits around that, and that without that, life is destroyed. I live for the wrong thing. What is the one thing David and the one thing David asked and sought, that he would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life to behold the beauty of the Lord, which is, attract, is attractiveness, that which is glorious. about. When is the last time you wasted time worshiping the glory of God? Yesterday, as Aaron and I were staying at this beautiful bread and breakfast, bed and breakfast, uh, where they have these bison. That, that's one of the few foods I can eat, so I just go on and thank them for that, you know, eat the bison. But here's the reality. We were looking out at creation, and there's a peace that you should be able to get from creation if you're that God's child. And evolutionists can't do that. They don't get comfort from that. They get scared. <laughs> it's a lot of futility. The glory of the Lord, though, observing it, looking at it, knowing that we're praying, God, I want to dwell in your house and meditate on your beauty. That's the second guy. Now, Paul is the third one, but he didn't pray that just for himself. He prayed that for all of us. The book of Ephesians, thinking about how the glory transforms us and how Paul, who wrote this passage, believes this is how we change, beholding the glory of God. He said this, he prayed, he prayed two or three big prayers in Ephesians. You're probably familiar with this. I pray that out of his glorious spirit, he may empower you to comprehend the love of God, 
So God, Paul is praying, I pray that, that you'll be strengthened out of the glorious spirit, the work of God in you, that you with all the other saints may comprehend the height, depth, width of the love of God in Christ, that you may be filled up to the full measure of God. Then he prays in chapter 1, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. And one of those prayers is that you may know the power that's at work in you that believe. A.W. Tozer said, it is not what a man does that's the biggest problem, but it's what he in his heart conceives God to be like. And Paul is praying the big prayers open our eyes. And when we're helping people change, we must pray, God, open their eyes. As I said in Sunday school, the change that happens in this verse is transcendent. It's beyond human manufacturing and rearranging furniture and changing behavior and thoughts and desires. It's changing your glory. It's changing what your heart perceives as most valuable, and it drives you now. It touches everything in your life now, just like drugs touched everything in my brother's life. The glory of God touches everything. And it's just the beginning of it. When you begin to do it, there's more to see. So show me your glory. It's from the Lord, the Spirit, as he gives that to us. By the Spirit, it's the main two people in this verse. It's the unveiled and it's the Holy Spirit who gave them the ability to be unveiled, uh, unveiled and responsive to the glory of God. Um, so when we look at this, uh, I want us to think about uh, the third thing, observing the key terms here. So there's three key terms that I would like to, as we wrap this time up, think of is, is glory. What is glory? What is beholding? And what is transformed? What is glory? Let me give you Jerry Bridges' definition of glory. The glory of the Lord. The glory of God is the sum of all of his infinite excellence and praiseworthiness set forth in display. All of God's worthiness and excellencies set forth in display. So when I look at the lilies of the field, do I see the amazing power and wisdom of God that's there? Glory is here. Here's the best way I've found out to say it for me and understand it, biblically understand it. It is the worth, it is of the value, the attributes, the abilities, the accomplishments of a person or thing on disp- in display. God is invisible, so he demonstrates himself as a father. He demonstrates himself by being a creator. He demonstrates himself by being a judge. He demonstrates himself by being a king. And things happen according to his timetable. So, demonstrating the glory of God in your own mind. What is beholding? Beholding is more likened unto not just looking at something, but being amazed by it. I am. I'm amazed. Now, my wife is amazed at many things that I am not, right? You go into a store, she'll see something, she'll see something, but then I'm amazed at things she's not. But one thing that we all have in common here if we're believers is when we start talking about some glory of God, 
We're, we start beholding it, not just looking at it. Beholding it. We're amazed by it. Beholding and meditating is part of how we behold. So let me, let me do a meditation uh, practice here on you. I want to do one more attribute of God as, as soon as, we, as we're thinking about beholding for a moment. I want you to think of beholding the wisdom of God for a moment. God's wisdom. Beholding the wisdom of God. So fellow worshipers, let me just take you on a moment here for, to, to think of God's wisdom and see if it helps you change. See if it helps you. Let's stand amazed at the boundless knowledge, understanding, and wisdom of our God. It's unlike humanity, whose capabilities are limited, finite, fallible. Our God possesses perfect knowledge of everything, and it, that knows no boundaries. I was reading about the design of a jet engine recently. The first observation that I made is that humanity requires much teamwork to get anything done. Our God doesn't. He doesn't need us, as it says. The development, though, of a jet engine requires the involvement of aeronautical, technical, electrical, structural engineers, all involved. Some engineers design, others test, other components from outside suppliers. It's a massive amount of team effort. No one engineer could possibly design a jet engine on their own because of the sheer amount of knowledge and understanding that it would take all of that. The second thing that as I was reading about it, I recognize is that it's accomplished by much trial and error. You ever hear people improve, designers improve on things and they actually don't? Your phones get worse, you know, things get worse. God does not have to improve on anything he does. He gets it right the first time. Let's take that for a, a, a test drive for a moment when we think about the magnificence of the human heart. He didn't need, it's much better than a jet engine in terms of how long it has to last, 75-year life expectancy. No maintenance, no lubrication. Weight not exceeding 10.5 ounces. It needs to pump 2,000 gallons per day. Valves operating 4,000 to 5,000 times per hour. We have reverence over that God. That God's knowledge of how to do a human heart or a brain, we could go beyond in, the, in, the, uh, in, in bigger ways into space. That God's knowledge is three things. It's intuitive. It comes to him immediately. He doesn't have to rethink. It comes to him like that. I'm going to create a human I'm going to create a world. It comes to him, and it's without having to learn it. It's infinite. There's no end to it. And the last I is it's infallible. It always accomplishes. And let me end with this thought. That God, wisdom, has done something better than creating amazing things out of nothing. You know what he's done? He's created good out of existing bad. And if you're a believer here today, you're evidence of that. That he can take a rebel like Tim Bryant and turn him into a saint that's growing in his glory. That's an amazing thing of our God. He, through the cross of Christ, has accomplished his wisdom in the most remarkable way. It's his glory. 
If you were to take this passage of 2 Corinthians 3.18 and look at it through the eyes of other passages in Scripture that talk about change, you would see parallels to what I'm saying. It's not like this verse is the only verse that talks about becoming by beholding. But I will tell you this, Romans 12, 1 and 2, a very famous verse. Just look at this for a moment through the eyes of 2 Corinthians 3.18. Some of you probably could quote Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, in view of God's what? Mercy. Offer your body. So you change your behavior, you offer your body in light of what? His glorious mercy. And then at the end of your life, here's what happens. The change is completed as we work through our issues and work through our problems by beholding his glory. Here's what 1 John says, brothers and sisters, it's not yet appeared what we shall be. But when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. Isn't it remarkable that we begin the Christian life by beholding the glory of God's justice then beholding the glory of God's kingliness to send us to prison to enforce his judgments in hell, and then the glory of God's fatherly care that would die for us. And then we continue through life by beholding the glory of his wisdom. We don't just obey rules. We're following wisdom. And then that process of change that's going on in all of us ends by beholding face-to-face, full view the glory of the one that we become transformed into his likeness immediately. J.I. Packer says this, the Christian instincts of trust and worship are stimulated by knowledge of the greatness of our God. But this knowledge is largely lacking today. And one reason that's why our faith is so feeble, our worship is flabby, he says. We're modern men and modern men cherish great thoughts about man and have as a rule small thoughts about God. Let me just ask you as we close, what glory of God are you going to think on the rest of this day to be ready to not get controlled by sad, to not get controlled by mad, to not get controlled by bad, and to not be controlled by frad? They're all around you. Creation displays the glories of God. History is the mysterious glory of God. You see it. Jesus Christ is a full embodiment. We beheld his glory full of grace and truth. The word of God is the special revelation of the glory of God. God has surrounded us with glory today. Relationships. You can taste some of the glory of God in relationships too. He's good. He's kind. You can taste his perseverance today. If you behold his perseverance, you can taste his humility. If you behold his humility, you can become like his humility. You can become more wise if you behold the glory of his wisdom. You can become more influential if you behold the glory of his influence. There's so many fruits that come. We behold and we become by the Spirit. But let's not reduce the fact that without the Spirit, it's just information. It's just information. But by the Spirit, it becomes inspiration. You can endure anything with the glory of God by the Spirit in view.
Let's pray together, okay? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the work of your spirit that is mightily purposeful. Every one of these human beings in this room been created in the image of your glory and have fallen short of the image of your glory and have lived for the wrong glory like us all. And today we will taste some of that at times. But we have the opportunity to turn our minds and begin to think on the glories of God, making lists of them, describing them, talking about them with each other. Help us do better at that. Help us to put this to the test, as John Owen said, and see what restoration comes. In Jesus' name, amen.